This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we test your loyalty. Earlier this year, Delta Airlines announced sweeping changes to its loyalty program. The changes would make it many times more expensive to earn perks like boarding early and Delta Airport lounges. The idea was to increase the revenue earned by selling Sky Miles rather than by selling tickets. This was met with hellfire and rage from many thousands of Delta customers who had been loyal to the brand for years. TikToks, tweets, and local news stories roasted Delta to the point that the company's CEO said recently that they may have taken the changes a little too far. But the message is clear. The company's main product is its rewards program not its service of flying people around the world. Delta is not alone. Airlines are operating with billions in revenue from their rewards programs as their airline operations business operates at or near a loss. Rewards programs originally started to garner brand loyalty from many industries have now been buoyed to a massive source of untaxed revenue. So, is it worth it to be loyal? What are these companies really selling you? Welcome to Game Theory, podcast about competition, strategy, decision-making. Uh, I'm in such a chipper mood. It is the it is the Lord's time of year, Chris. It is fall. It's like 70 degrees where I am right now, and it is just... It's how I was meant to live my life. The weather is just crisp. Yeah. Everything's so fresh. Yeah. Everything's so clean. It's nice. We're out, we're out of pollen season. We're out of mosquito season. Yeah. We're out of people pretending to enjoy the beach season. Yeah. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I will say we got to do something. So this will be the first episode in a while in a long time that will be on uh, YouTube. And if you're listening to this right away when it comes out, it won't be on YouTube. But it'll be a day or two. One of us, only one of us can keep the beard. So we are going to have a fight to the death. <laughs> I'm just now you understand, yeah. I, I far outstrip you in both historic tradition and in raw talent yeah but but also it's a double-edged sword for me because i also look far better with a mustache than you and there is proof you know it's it's really it's kind of a, a medical mystery to me yeah. how we share the same genes yep. and i just look so much better with facial hair than you uh wow that was the meanest thing anyone has ever said to me but i i have no i have no counterpoint to that uh, I mean, that is I, I, don't know, I don't know how to explain it i mean it just, <laughs> I don't it, just either. it is what it is it is i hate that phrase but it's so poignant here to me in my soul you're right you're right your beard is thicker your hair is lusher you're smart i'm dumb you're very Keep attractive going. i'm not very good looking <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong. You were right. Wrong. You're the you best. Right. I'm the worst. Yeah. Happy Gilmore is great. I haven't seen that in a good long time. You know what? That's a good call. I think I might have to pull that out and uh, and give it a look. Okay. So, Chris, with this episode 90 of Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, decision making, and we have done a number of episodes that I think have been, um, I don't want to say boring, but mathematical there's for they're for nerds like we've done math episodes this is a game theory podcast we've done core game theory episodes that teach people game theory we've done episodes where we're like hey this is, seems like something we could fight about let's fight about this and we've done a number of episodes where we go back in time or we do some things that are just passionate to us and we lose probably a portion of the audience like hey we don't care about college football but every now and then it's been a long time it's been over a year since the traffic episode that we've done an episode that is important and that we have passion, and this is for the people. This is one of those episodes. This is an episode about point systems and how people are getting screwed and how airline companies can eat shit, set it, meant it, and how Starbucks is screwing up all of us. And there's just, I feel like Steve Carell in the big short. People have no idea what's going on out there. They have no idea what's going on out there. They care about the ball like game. The bad guy from Dune. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your, your face is boiling. 
<laughs> yes. So I'm super excited to talk about it. And the we're going to come away with this as two white men um, with the, the most important lesson, which is that we can blame Tom Brady for this. So that's positive. Yeah. I, I'm going to I'm gonna take a leaf out of Steve Harvey's book here and suggest that we could be in a way better place if not for Tom Brady. Yeah, which is a great callback to a, uh, a monologue, which it was Steve Harvey monologue from the NFL Awards. Like, you know why all of you are here right now? Tom Brady. If Tom, Tom Brady wasn't Brady. living, you could be in the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, so we're talking about reward system, but before we get to that, should we pitch to the people? Are we going to do a fall redraft? Because I have some thoughts on things. We're, we're going to redraft fall. So, so this is not... That wasn't a dynasty no, draft last no. year. This is a this is a fresh league. We're yeah. we're starting from scratch. Is that is that the now? Yeah. The, now right. the question is, mm-hmm. player three. You know as well as I do that mm-hmm. there are there there there's a, a a cornucopia, so to speak, of wonderful things about fall. Shut up, including shut cornucopias. Shut <laughs> so it's not like we're out of ideas. In fact, yeah. I want to shout out to uh, Doctor Allie, Doctor Power Allie. Listener, Doctor Allie. She messaged me the other day, the first day that we were talking about fall, which was uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago when we yeah. said, well, you know, we're getting into the fall season. My guess would be and around the first me, day of fall. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> wise guy. She DM'd me with a comprehensive list of all the great things about fall. And I got to tell you, there was some overlap with our original draft, but there were some ideas on there that I just, I can't believe we didn't think of the first time. And it's making me think maybe we need to do a redraft. Maybe we yeah. need to dress up I in our flannel, so, uh, pour ourselves a nice hot whiskey Sit down next to a fireplace and redraft our favorite fall things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, all right, all right. I'm down. I'm I'm totally, I'm down to clown on that. I can do another fall. We can do a fall draft. Okay, we will do a fall draft. Um, Even though you cheated and someone sent you a comprehensive list, that didn't happen to me. But I'm, you know, I feel confident about just playing it straight up. I I don't need to to buy the the draft guide from the Barnes & Noble bookstore. I I mean, I, I trust my knowledge. It'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'm going to be a team player at it. Do you remember when, when before the internet existed? And mm. well, actually, it wasn't before the internet. It was when like uh, cheatcodes.com oh. was was like half sketchy, but like there were some nuggets on there. But the but the way that people would play video games and beat video games if they were not good at playing them, like I yeah, wasn't, yeah, they would yeah, go yeah. to the game store and they would pick up a how to guide and just sit and read that bad boy and then just leave the store without buying it. You so a couple of things I think happened. One is that you got one for Zelda, a guidebook that was like bananas. It looked like a magazine, and there were a bunch of Zelda guys. There were a bunch of popular ones. You're like, no, no, no. I've got the one that's that's like a garage sale book, and you're like, this is crazy. But I also do think about Tony Hawk Two X, which is not two. Tony Hawk Two X. I found the cheat code, and the cheat code literally it changed my enjoyment of the game forever. That was the most fun thing. Ever, average. So okay. was it? It was uh, Saturday Baby, right? Yeah, Saturday Baby was the code. You type in the code as a username, and it just unlocks literally everything. Saturday Baby, every eh, okay. Everything. So, so while we've while we've digressed here, I want to yeah. make a quick shout out. Okay, player three. It's player three. I'm asking you for feedback on this. We ask you for generic feedback a lot, like like rate, review, subscribe, do all. Yeah. We're still continuing to ask that kind of stuff. Sure, but I want to ask if anybody's out there, and Nick, this includes you. Have you heard of a game? called Sarge's Heroes. No. I want to say it was like a, a, a PC game from the late 90s or early 2000s. Sarge's Heroes, I, you know, it's not one of the ones that gets like commonly name-checked. You I know, mean, it's not one of these major franchises or it's not like a, I, I don't even know if like a cult following is, is the appropriate name for it, but sure. it's called Sarge's Heroes. I'm asking about this for a very specific reason. I know a guy, I used to work with a guy who used to code for a, a video game company and he worked on that game and all there's right a specific I'm gonna google, cheat I'm code okay give it give it a google right. and player three if you've heard of sarge's heroes oh my god this is know. old school this is nintendo 64 and playstation original this playstation is, okay so so og playstation so this, this is a game that was out there it was on a, it was on a bunch yeah. of different consoles i'm asking because i know a guy who coded on that and he, he worked with a, somebody who I, I don't know how video game production works somebody sure. can explain that to me yeah but somebody built in a cheat code that if you type in a certain sequence of letters, and I remember what the string is, and I don't want to reveal what the string is until somebody tells me that they played Sarge's Heroes. If you type in that string of numbers at like some certain entry point, you can get every texture in the game, like every every polygon that's covered with any kind of color or shape or pattern. It, all the textures will be replaced with a collage of this guy's face. And I'm dying to try it. I have no idea Wait, how to find Sarge's Wait, did your friend put his face in the game? 
my friend had his face put in the game by uh, another guy that he worked with as like as like a joke and it wasn't you know, it, 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 i guess it was like the kind of game where like if you type in stuff like like we could type sure. in saturday baby and have all these yeah. things unlocked but I, I guess that was the that was like the the big prank and like I think he said it made it through to development, but I've never been able to find the game. I've never known anybody who's ever played it. So player three, if you've heard of Sarge's Heroes, let us know and we'll try to get the setup so we can we can test this theory. But that's that's a that's a fun little video game cheat secret that I've been holding on to and waiting to test for years. Shout out to Stu. That is that is cool. I like that. I mean I would that's pretty put, neat, like, little Easter eggs of like actual human beings for sure. I would be yeah, be really that's cool. neat. Um, okay, so let's get to the matter at hand. So the, here's what happened. Okay, Delta, like about a week or two ago, I think it was about a month or two ago, they announced that the Delta Sky Miles points or DSM or DSB or Delta Sky Bucks or Dollars or Shroop Bucks or whatever the hell they use. Shroop Bucks, <laughs> Stanley Nichols. They changed how many of the imaginary Shroop Bucks you needed to get into the lounge to get free shit, to get a certain status number. And they didn't like, oh, you need to get 20,000 more. They're like, mm, no, you need to spend like the equivalent of about a hundred grand more to get into the Sky Mouse Club. And immediately people who had been loyal to Delta took it reasonably and they were like, that's fair. That makes sense. We'll just spend more money. No, false. They f- lost their shit. TikTok exploded. It essentially melted down. Tom Brady, who just joined the uh, Delta Sky Miles board of directors. He's spending money all over the place. Yeah, he's investing now. He's like, he's actually getting more. Wow. Yeah. So he's, I don't know, he's he's a special advisor. He's some big wig. He's like above management. He's a rich person now. So he's one of those people. Immediately, he got blamed to the point where people like had to like buffer him between the Delta stuff. People were fucking livid. So they were so livid. And this is never, I don't know. I'm sure this has happened. I know the Costco CEO, the, the, the former Costco CEO threatened the current CEO if he, if he raised the price of the $1.50 hot dog. So like that's the only time I've, I've heard of rich people acquiescing. But the Delta CEO said publicly, we may have went too far. Like the people complained about rich people trying to get rich so much that the rich people were like, oh shit, we actually may be... We found the line, we went over to the line, crossed the line, now we're going to have to bring it back in the line. That's how angry people were about the Delta Sky Miles. And it brings into question this huge system, which we have known, and I've seen people making TikToks about this for a long time. Airlines are not airlines. The service that they sell is not flights. The service that they sell is credit. They're banks. They're not airline companies. That's a thing that they do. It's sort of like how Uber is that a ride-sharing service. It's a social media platform. This is exactly that. Their loyalty programs is how they finance themselves. That's how their liquidity comes. They just have their money. But you know who the real OGs of this system are, Chris? The company that has found the way to take your money and just do whatever they want with it and then give you a product later? Starbucks, the greatest American hero. So today... We are talking about loyalty programs, and we're going to talk about the difference between a points-based system and Shroop Bucks and a good old-fashioned punch card and why that is so much better for the American people. It's so okay, much so better. So to, to do that, Nick, do you remember when we were kids playing hockey in the 90s? Of course. Best time we would drive around to small towns that don't have a lot of places to eat, but the big towns oh, had Subway in Subway. them. Subway. I know exactly. This we ate, the stamps. Yeah, we ate a lot of Subways. Yeah. So... We would occasionally return home or stop off before coming on the road trip back from Cody or Casper or wherever. Mm-hmm. And we would stop in Subway. And our dad was absolutely Johnny on the spot with remembering his Subway stamp card. And every time we would go into Subway and buy sandwiches or whatever, they would give us like physical, actual stamps. Like you, not like, like you stamp something with ink, but there was like a, a little miniature, looked like a postage stamp that they put onto these cards. And if you bring in a card that has all, but it's all filled up with stamps and there's like a dozen spots or 10 spots or whatever. If you bring in a full card, you get a free sandwich. So we probably saved, I don't know, several dozen dollars over the years buying Subway and using the reward system. But it was a very simple idea. If you continue going to Subway, you're going to get rewarded with free stuff. And we measure that free stuff in discrete number of units sold. You buy a six inch, you get a stamp. You buy a foot long, you get two stamps. You buy a drink, you get a stamp. And it was really, really simple. And it frankly, 
mystified me. I thought, wow, this is the greatest company that's ever walked the earth. Yeah. Of course, I was like nine. Right. But still, the whole point of the system was to give rewards to customers who return to the business. And it also gives those customers like a hook to come back to. So if you've got a card full of stamps, like, well, where should I eat today? I have free food or I can go pay for food somewhere else. You're going to go and you're going to stay loyal to the brand because they're actually rewarding you for that loyalty. And, and that's it. That's a, that's as simple as it was. That's how it used to be at least. Yeah. And, I'll, and here, and we'll get into the small business versus big business later. That is how it still is in some places, but then Starbucks and a bunch of other companies, but we're going to give the credit to Starbucks and I'm not a retail historian. So whatever. They're not the first people to do this. Credit cards have been giving loyalty points and cash back and things for forever and ever. It's a great way to use the credit card to spend. And then you go in debt and you charge interest. And it's a very simple system to understand. However, when cell phones became a thing and people could order on their apps, right? Like on smartphones, then you started to realize, like, well, what if you could just pay on your app? And eventually you're just banking at your Starbucks or your Macy's or your Dunkin' Donuts or whatever on your app. You're just banking on it. You're just giving them 25 bucks. And you're spending it in the future. Now, if anybody's been on TikTok, Chris, have you, are you familiar with the girl math trend on TikTok? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. I've seen girl math. So girl, I've seen girl math is like, it's like if you have a, if you have a $25 Kohl's gift card and you spend a hundred dollars at Kohl's, it's like, well, I basically made $25 today. Yeah. I say, I say like that's girl. Oh, yeah, math. I, yeah. That's or, what a great example is like, if I buy $12 with like get two coffees in a, a treat at, at Starbucks, but I use the app, like it, it was free. The coffee was free. Like, well, no, but that is what they want you to think. Give them the money. They'll give you the thing. Originally, and I was a power user of Starbucks when I first moved east and became a worker. And I realized, like, I'm, I did the old school. I was both a Republican and a liberal at the exact same time. In that, I was making my, I was poor and I was working, and I had a salary and healthcare and everything. And every Friday, I was like, I can't take it. I, I this job makes me want to kill myself. So I'm going to every Friday is Starbucks Day. I'm not going to make my own coffee. You're I'm not going to make my breakfast. Friday is Starbucks Day. God damn it! And I went that was, to Starbucks. That was a time in your life. That was a time in your life uh -huh. when you were like Dennis from 30 Rock. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm socially conservative, but fiscally liberal. <laughs> socially conservative, yeah. That wasn't, I was, that wasn't uh, exactly you, but but that ca that's the energy that you captured at that point in your life. And and you guys, you guys, <laughs> Nick said he was a power user. Nick, yeah. Nick tends to exaggerate, I think, sometimes. Mm -hmm. Nick tends to play up the hype. He's a hype sure. guy. Yeah, yeah. Nick, you're a, big, you're a big hype guy. I am a hype guy. And I love that. We need that energy. I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna tell you all right now, player three. This is a time when Nick is not exaggerating. Power user is an understatement for the amount of Starbucks this guy could see. And, and it was. It had to do with like there was like a very good financial reason for it because yeah. it was very convenient. It was very close, and there was also like actual personal finance tied into this. Yeah. But I, I'm. I'm telling you, nobody has ever been more brand loyal than well mid 2010s yes, nick we'll get was there. to starbucks <laughs> we will get so i was on point and of course magic johnson who owns i think the most starbucks franchises in the country people don't know that the former lakers superstar oh. yeah he, he i believe I, I read this somewhere in college it could be wrong but he was one of the people that was part of the team that put them on college campuses which just became a cash cow that must be like inconceivably Genius. yeah and that's kind of where I got hooked on Starbucks. It was the only coffee shop there. And then you could order ahead and the app made everything really convenient and it was great. And then I move and I go to college and I can't afford to do it every day or I go to get a job. I can't afford to do it every day, but Friday is Starbucks day. Um, and I become a, a rewards member. I also need a corporate credit card. And when you get your first credit card, or I don't need a corporate credit card, I need a credit card. When you get your first credit card, you don't have a credit. So the only one I could get was a Starbucks card. And I was like, that's fine. I mean, I like Starbucks. If all I get out of using the, if my point reward system to build my credit is Starbucks stars, perfect. At that time, Starbucks was on the way to work either way I went. I could go, I mean, it's just like Yogi Berra. If you take a left, if you get to a fork in the road, take it. Both places have a Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Yogi Berra for the 21st century, yeah. baby. Yeah, he's the man. So I I was able to get Starbucks. Now you would do it every Friday, and then I made a little more money, and I would get a couple times a week. I would get a, a bacon and goo sandwich um, and a venti coffee that's it i wasn't a big spender of starbucks I, I i like cappuccinos now in the afternoon but i'm i'm tall a big the biggest cup of pure black coffee that you have in the morning kind of guy at that time it, uh it was about 150 stars to get one of anything okay which made it, yeah, ton, it, ton it, of it that's that's pretty pretty standard stuff. So the, so the concept yeah. at that time, which by the way, I I do want to give some general history. That's not just you telling a personal story. Yeah. So so I'm reading here from sure. an article by 
It's on Fortune.com. It's by uh, H. Sammy Karaka and J.L. Zagorski. Uh, they write in this piece uh, from 2023, so it was earlier this year, as in January, they wrote this. Wait, 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 hold on. Time out, time out. For, for our history. YouTube audience, why don't we share your screen? Maybe we can put it on the screen. Hold I don't on. want to do that. Okay. I got too many we'll tabs do, over there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's we'll, true. We'll, we'll figure that out. We, good call. <laughs> sorry. Apologies to the YouTube. Yeah, we, I got some things up there that I don't want people uh, to see. Magic the Gathering. Yeah. yeah, Magic the Gathering. Birthday gifts for myself. <laughs> but anyway... In this in this article, they they kind of explain the history of like how this rewards program, and I think it was generally the case that up to twenty fifteen or sixteen, yep. it was it was a system that was based on discrete purchases. So you buy something, and it's worth an X number of stars, yep. and those stars come back to you as a free free beverage or food or whatever the case right. is. It was very similar to the subway model that we would they use, basically the just took the subway model and put it get. online. It was like a dollar is ten stars or something like that. Yeah, basically. basically yeah. So we, there's some more, there's some interesting information in this article about rewards programs generally, and we'll get to that in a little bit yeah. later on after we've finished this. But, but Starbucks has had a rewards program to, designed to keep customers loyal to the brand ever since 2008. Yeah. And you know if you if you think about it, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Starbucks truly are everywhere. But if you consider just like the number of competitors that Starbucks has to deal with, they have to deal with like Costa Coffee. They have to compete with Tim Hortons in certain Canadian po- trans-Canadian and, pockets of the country. America runs on deal with Pete's. They have to deal with Pete's Coffee for the, the cool hipster coffee drinkers out there in California and for the freaks that populate <laughs> this country who drink Dunkin' Donuts. I'm telling you what, Dunkin' Donuts has the worst cup of coffee I've ever had in my entire life. I swear it was like drinking Blake. I don't I don't normally put stuff... Like, if I bought it, I'm going to drink it. I'm a big sunk cost fallacy yeah, sucker. Yeah, 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 yeah. You are. I swear to God, I... I had the worst cup of coffee my entire life, and I stopped drinking it. And that was a remarkable moment for me. And you guys, Duncan people, I don't know what your deal is. Maybe you can. I'll help know, you. If you're from Boston, you're probably going to try to fight yeah. me in the parking lot. I'll or help you. But I just, I just can't do it. I know. So it's and my lovely wife who had to work uh, in in medical residency from like around four thirty in the morning. Duncan is not a place one goes to enjoy coffee. Duncan is a place one goes to because they need the drug. <laughs> Like it's like, all right, that's, that's a good, right, that's a fair When point. you're going to work at 5am, like, you know, the people like the, the blue collar men and people like run the country, like they, and like Duncan's like, we, Hey, we got your fix, bud. And like, this is the best we could do. And they're like literally a drug fiend. They're like, I need it. Or I'm not going to be able to make it to work today. So America runs on Duncan. That's like this, this is the best slogan of all time. But yes, I agree yeah, with America, you. America, agree. which is to say a small pocket of the Mass country holes, in the Northeast yeah. runs on, yeah, whatever. The point is that Starbucks has a lot of really prominent, really popular competitors. Sure. And keeping people loyal to the brand is part of the shtick for Starbucks becoming like the big nationwide Goliath that it is. So it had this loyalty rewards program as early as 2008. And at the time, it was one of the most rewarding programs that was out there like when it first started. And it's it's really interesting to me. There have been a couple of key milestones on the the journey, I guess, to the Starbucks Rewards Program getting to where it is. And and right around this time that we're talking about with your story, mid twenty tens, that was one, uh, one of those key milestones when the reward system changed from being based on stars to being based on the number of dollars and cents that you actually spend at the store. Interestingly, in this article, which I which as I said is from January twenty twenty three. Yeah. During the pandemic, the rewards program actually had a, a huge increase in membership, which yeah. is kind of surprising to me. It was about 29 million people enrolled at the end of 2022. And if, for comparison, so, so that's a little less than a third of the population of the country. But by comparison, there were just over 16 million people in 2019. So that's like almost a 50%. That's almost a 100% increase in the size over the course of what, three years. So it's, that's surprising to me. But, but the point is that this, this rewards program used to be based on buying stuff to get units and those units are exchangeable for free stuff, but then things changed. Yeah. So if we want to go back to the 2019 thing, Starbucks is one of the companies that really did an amazing and commendable job at being safe while staying open. The online ordering was able to get people in and out. And that's why people joined. Because then if you're going to go get your coffee and gave them something to do and get out of the house, Starbucks can do that. But they're like, they really bought in and forced like the touchless payment. Like if you don't have it, you can't have it. And so it made it really simple. So, but then that helps them saturate the situation. So now they can be a little bit more aggressive. They changed, I remember it was 2016 or so when I was really into Starbucks and it went from 
It used to be 150 stars for everything about 2015, 2016. And then it became like 100 stars for a cup of coffee. And I was like, yes. But then it was like 300 stars for a sandwich. And I was like, you know, fair enough. I get the cheap one on this one. I get the more expensive one. But then, of course, they realize what's happening. And they keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And then at a certain point, your loyalty just becomes less and less relevant to them because they've saturated the market. And during this, they did a really good job of just kind of like murdering all of their competitions. So when I lived in Philly, I lived walking distance from like probably, I would argue, the best coffee shop in Philadelphia. We talk about it outside if you disagree with me. But then I also live walking distance. No, it, was, it, was, it was good. It was it great. Was, it really yeah. was good, you guys. Uh, but there's also a Starbucks walking distance. So it would depend on who was open and like, do I want stars? But it essentially siphoned business from Starbucks, but Starbucks was super close and it was open more and whatever. Now I am equidistant from Starbucks and two other mom and pop coffee shops. And because of the reward system, I like to support local business. But because of the reward system, I've chosen not to support Starbucks because it is a purchase-based reward system. Here is my punch card. What's up? I'm not going to tell you where I live. We've got a free coffee that. coming up. Free coffee coming up. Look That's it. one. And here's punch card number two. My wallet's getting nice and fat like George Costanza. <laughs> it's obese. That's right. So uh, this is, they, and they started to realize that the stars became more and more. And like, why would they give stuff away? They don't need to do 10 purchases when they can do 20. The most recent update, I believe, was earlier this year when it went from, I think it's 100 stars for like a bakery item, right? And then it, now I think it's like 200 stars for... Uh, quote, a handcrafted beverage such as a latte or frappuccino, 300 stars to redeem one package salad, lunch sandwich, or package protein box, right? So they're just doing this and nobody's going to leave them because of it. It's so convenient. And they've kind of, they've murdered a lot of their competitors. Duncan is really the only nationwide one that I can kind of think of. There are pockets of them and airports and things, but it's it's sort of like, if, for those of you that are Catholic, it's just, being Catholic is like going to Starbucks. Like it's basically the same everywhere. You don't really need to even speak the language to go to church if you're Catholic. It's the same. That's what Starbucks is. If you get the one in the hotel, you get the one in the airport, you get the one at your school, you get the one at the house. You order online, you show up, it's chaos, you get it, you leave, it tastes about the same. That's the point of this, right? So once they got us all, there's no reason to keep the prices the same. There's absolutely no reason to do this. So this is continuing to eke up and eke up and eke up. And we get back to this concept. So when I showed you my punch cards, 10 purchases equals one free thing. Instead of the money that I spent on those purchases equaling something of a certain amount of money, right? And that's the difference. So a $2 yeah, cup so you, of coffee is the same thing as a $9 latte. It's one reward point. Yes. And that and that's a system that people really get behind, especially if they don't spend a lot of money. I mean, yep. you, can, you can be thrifty with the things that you buy and you can still receive rewards for that. It's like, well, this is great. I'm, I'm now not just being rewarded for loyalty. I'm being rewarded for being financially responsible. Yep. But when rewards programs change like for example when they switch to a dollar spent model versus a points earned model or when they go to a system where people putting mo loading money onto the account like that the, the the point of the rewards program originally was to get people loyal to the brand once people are loyal to the brand then suddenly the rewards program fundamentally becomes something else and that's i think where the airline discussion comes into play. I mean, so, so Starbucks works a little bit differently. I think, you know, if, if you use the app, you can conveniently load money off of a credit card or a debit card onto your Starbucks app. And that money is ready to go for a purchase. Anytime you need it, you can pull up the app, make your order, walk to the store and pick it up. You never have to like actually transact. You load the money on the front end. Yep. What that does for, for you is like, okay, it makes it much more convenient. Well, what it does for Starbucks is it basically gives them an infusion of liquid cash in some amount. Let's say you load the card up for 25 bucks is a pretty standard thing. Well, if you have 29 million people doing that, that adds up to a lot of money, like millions and millions of dollars. Yep. And that's just money that's sitting in Starbucks coffers as some as liquid cash. So they can basically run their financials off of that, even more so than the coffee. It does, And at that point, the the banking side of it comes in where Starbucks holds a certain amount of cash. They can put that on their financials. And suddenly that's like managing, just managing money. It has nothing to do with the exchange of money for coffee. It's people have just given them an interest-free loan in the form of small payments that don't really make a huge difference to the individual consumer yeah. or the individual consumer has like chosen to commit the small amount of money to be prepared to make a purchase in the future. And it's a really kind of ingenious way. Like th that money is not necessarily going to grow with interest, but it's also not going to, 
incur losses. It's basically just like free liquid cash that Starbucks can sit on until such time as they have to incur the cost later when somebody goes and, and picks up whatever the item is that they purchase. And that especially makes a big difference if people remain thrifty with their purchases and don't buy like stuff that's expensive for Starbucks to produce and supply. Yeah. And that's, I mean, the, the idea is pretty simple. They just have this cash and like you could theoretically put it in a savings account and get interest or even scarier, you could start investing it and maybe like they're going to start buying bonds and stocks and shit and then they could lose it. And then, holy shit, that would be quite a mess. Maybe the government should look into this. Is there an untaxable bank? Now, there is, according to a TikTok I saw, the New York <laughs> Times. <laughs> yes, According to the nice. New York Times, uh, which is a bit I saw from another podcast. Um, people think that it's somewhere between two to four billion at any point in time, like which... That sounds right. I'm not going to investigate that further. It's not too egregious where I'd be like, hold on, that doesn't sound right. And it's not small enough where I would, like, two billion sounds right. That's fine. It could be 100 million. It could be 5 billion, but like a lot. Well, let, well let's, let, let's just do some, let's just do some quick math. All I mean, right, if everybody, right. if everybody who's in the rewards program, let's say that number's bumped up to 30 million by now and if the growth the has continued. Baseline setting year. on the app is they want you, like, you know, when there's an auto selector for tips, the baseline mm -hmm. setting to reload your app is $25, which is a lot. Yeah, so if we multiply 25 times 30, we get what, $75 million mm -hmm. at any given moment? Sure. Well, no, it's 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 $750 million at any million. given moment. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I forgot I forgot to carry the decimal yeah, point well, to another zero place. Thank God. So but, the, but so but the basic point is that if everybody who's on that rewards program had $25 sitting in their account right now, mm -hmm. Starbucks is sitting on essentially 3 quarters of a billion dollars with which they can do basically whatever they want. And I mean, the smart thing to do, if, if I had $750 million in liquid cash, I would invest that immediately. No, I mean, I, I would, would put that in. Go to the casino, put it on black, double my money, and then invest. So, sorry. Once I go to the casino, put it on black, and double it, I would put invest my $1.5 right. billion. Thank you for yeah, checking. Of course, yeah, 100%. And so that's naturally what Starbucks is doing. And, mm -hmm. and, and that, once again, that side of the house is completely separate from their coffee business. Like right. the, the, the cost to produce a cup of coffee for somebody has to be lower than the amount of money that Starbucks charges for in order to make a profit on that cup of coffee. And that's true for all the, the physical stuff that they actually sell in the store. That's completely irrespective of the cash loan, the interest-free liquid injection that they get from having this rewards program where people just put money in reserve. It doesn't really cost. I mean, it, it was a cost a cup of coffee mm -hmm. and it's, it's just huge benefits for the company. Right. It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it's really I, at a certain point you gotta, you gotta hand it to people, but, but you know, the, just to, just to kind of bring it on home for like rewards programs in general, not to just, you know, make this a big Starbucks um, fluffing session. I will say, don't Google. We, we mentioned Starbucks. <laughs> Sorry, Starbucks was one of the original. Was it was one of the OG rewards loyalty programs, and and like that's pretty revolutionary. But now, ever since the pandemic, it, the the use of technology in like service based industry, especially in restaurants and stuff, I mean, it's surge. If if you have Square and an iPad, you can basically run your own business with digital only money exchanges you don't need to like take people's cash so a lot of like mom and pop shops they're starting to have their own loyalty programs too and in fact according to the fortune article over 50 percent, about 50 percent 57 percent of restaurant change now have some kind of loyalty program because it's very easy to start and whether those are based on like the classic if you buy stuff eventually you'll get something for free we're earning true loyalty or if they're based on the Starbucks model of give me cash now and I'll give you your products and services later, it, the, the fact remains that it's becoming a more and more popular thing. And if I'm one of these small businesses and I, I see Starbucks doing this cash for ease of transaction model, then I'm trying to advertise that and taking people's money and investing it and in growing. It, it's basically just like a second cash it's basically a second revenue stream yeah. where I have the money on hand. And then, Oh, by the way, if people come into my restaurant and they have 30 bucks on their card and order $50 worth of food, I make an additional 20 bucks. So yes. And the only way that it works, and I would like for my two local coffee shops to be able to participate and theoretically compete with Starbucks. The only way a system like this has any chance of working is with scale. We said you put $25 on your card. And like, if, if the, customer base at this two location coffee shop I go to did that they would have like $5,000 maybe if they're lucky basically it's just like 
rainy day fund or, or whatever. But when your Starbucks, like $750 million, like we're, we do this a couple of years, we could own an NFL team, right? Like it's a little different. Yeah. It's a little different situation. Now the real scary one, the one that's crazy is airlines because that is an, an amount of money that makes Starbucks look weak. Okay. So there are, it's, well, it's, it's, it's amazing. And yes. you know, we, we, the, the key in all of this is the fact that earning money off of people's loyalty is completely separate from the product or service that Correct. you sell. And it's so important that, like that distinction is so critical that you can even lose money with every product or service that you sell and still remain profitable on the basis of people's participation in the loyalty program. And that is the situation for the airlines. Right. So there are essentially three big airlines in the United States and there were a number of mergers 2008 or whatever American United and Delta and people who are loyal to those brands will often have fights about them that are very akin from where we're where we're from the fight the stupid fight that everyone has an opinion on is Chevy versus Ford which like whatever I mean so who you drive this truck doesn't matter it doesn't matter but for the for the for the airlines it's the exact same thing just drive a Dodge I am loyal that's what you have I am loyal to American Airlines for one reason and one reason only, which is that I lived in Philadelphia, which is an American Airlines hub. And be clear, if you live at or near a hub, you should be loyal to that one. There will be more options. It will be easier to get in and out. And it's going to be a better situation. So that's how I chose. It was like, well, let me shop around for the best deals with Delta or United. But no, that's, it's, it, that's how the hub system works. But for these airlines, they had figured out the same thing that Starbucks figured out, and they were kind of dabbling into it in like 2017, 18, 19. Then the pandemic hit, and they were out of money. People weren't traveling. The scariest place to be for a while was on planes here. It's in this huge tube of toothpaste in the sky with people coughing everywhere, and their mouths pointed at each other before we knew if it was safe, like, we're not going to go. Remember the, all those pictures during the pandemic of empty planes and empty airports and stuff? People weren't going. They needed to stay afloat, and the government helped them out a little, but they really started to lean on this loyalty program situation. So the way it works is a little bit more tricky than Starbucks. It's not direct to consumer because you're not going to load your American Airlines app with five grand to buy a couple flights in the same way that you would load your Starbucks app for seven cups of coffee. So here's how, here's how this works. Airlines, let's just say Delta because we're going to shit on them later. Delta creates points out of nothing. They just invent them. Okay. Then they sell those Fiat points. Currency, basically. Yes. Yep. Shroop bucks. They invent shroop bucks and then they sell the shroop bucks to banks. Let's just call it Bank of America. Don't know. Don't care. This is just hmm. theoretical. They sell the shroop buck to a bank for money. Okay. They buy co-branded credit cards. The bank does. So the bank will be like, here is a Bank of America card. It is both a Bank of America card, America card and a Delta card. The banks award the points to cardholders for spending, and both the banks and the credit card companies make money off of the swipe fees that the businesses Which pay. Is, that's like that's like the three percent charge that you see. Yes. Like, oh yeah, if you go to the gas station and pay, sometimes gas costs more if you pay with a card. That's because the cost for to the gas station is offsetting the additional charge that the card is charging them to run that run right. that piece of plastic through the machine. Yes. So they are kind of like printing money through these these swipe charges. Now they invented a point and the point can be redeemed later when people want to travel. Kind of read the fucking fine print on that because that's not always the case. But then Delta was like an American and ever American Express was the company that really kind of figured this out with their own little lounges and now there's a lounge war and Tom, everyone's associated. As soon as Tom Brady went to Delta, they started wanting to make stupid changes like this, including very horrible looking renovations to their Sky Lounge, by the way. Horrible, horrendous, terrible. Regardless. Are they bad? Yeah, they look bad. You can Google it. It's, it's, they, they want to redesign the stuff. It doesn't matter. But the Sky Lounge and the American Express Lounge and the, um, the Admirals Club and whatever was a. It, was a system that you could buy into. I think for American, it was like 600 bucks and 60 bucks a month or 60 bucks per entrance fee. It was not that bad if you're going to be traveling a lot and wanted a place to set up and get Wi-Fi and get a drink or, or whatever. But access to this lounge could be now something that the airline's like, actually, we don't sell that. We sell points and you can buy access with points. And that's what they did because they like, let's sell the points because the, the points don't mean anything. They're shroop bucks. We'll give them something later. It doesn't matter. Get liquidity now. And then they just start doing it more and more and more. And recently... Delta announced that they were ramping up and that's what really lost people. We're going to drill down on this idea that they're, they're actually in some cases, month over month, quarter over quarter, losing money on operating an airline. 
that's not a profitable thing, even though they're it's, jacking up prices. It's crazy. Yeah, but they're making it, it money, really investing is money that they get for these points. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's shocking. So, so this is an article from uh, View from the Wing, which I learned nice. is uh, it's like a flyers, airline workers, pilots, consumers. It's, it's cool. Yeah, it looks like a cool niche thing. This is by Gary Leff. He was writing this in October of 2018. He yeah. said that. Americans' financials at that time, American Airlines' financials, show that they only make money from their frequent flyer program. Now, I don't know what changed in 2018, but in 2018, it changed. They were actually losing dollar value for for each flight that they sold. It, it's it's crazy to me. The, the profit from the American Advantage frequent flyer program accounts for the entirety of American Airlines' profit in the year 2018. American Airlines, so, so this is you know just quoting from the article, American has earned pre-tax income of $1.5 billion to date, while $1.8 billion was booked at, as immediate marketing revenue from sales of miles, which comes at almost no cost. On top of that, 8% of the airline's passenger revenue comes from award travel. Mm. So it, in, in other words, almost all of this money is coming from the American Advantage program. It's, it's just... It's just crazy to me. They they actually lose. It's some. It's something like, like eighteen cents, eighteen point five cents per seat per mile is the cost to fly. Well, yeah, it costs something like. It, it, that's like how much you could buy a seat for. Yeah, but it costs like eighteen point seven cents per seat per mile to fly. So in other words, for every flight, they're losing a bunch of money for every seat even if they fill every single seat they're still losing on a per seat basis but the rewards program the the American Advantage program is so profitable they're getting so much liquidity from the banks and from people participating in this program that they actually remain crazy profitable i mean it's 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 just shocking to me and so that was true in 2018 that remains true today so yeah. here's an article by Gary Leff again in 2021 there was an SEC filing and if, if you know after looking at Americans SEC filing in in response to the uh, the CARES Act so the the coronavirus I, I want to make sure I, I I get this right so this was in 2021 financial crisis airlines can't sell seats suddenly their loyalty program looks like it's not profitable the coronavirus aid relief and economic security act of 2020 and the coronavirus response and consolidated appropriations act of 2021 provided a bunch of money to businesses that thought they were going to lose it basically people started bullying the airlines for not for buying too much avocado toast and not having <laughs> enough liquid cash on hands yeah well their their loyalty program was actually keeping them afloat and so here here's gary again telling us that one of the things that we learned from this sec filing in 2021 was that american makes money selling miles their sky miles not on flying planes yeah the, so the, the, the net cash from operations of the frequent flyer program exceeded the airline's pre-tax income for all of American in 2019. It's, it's just, it's crazy. So, and, and you know, the margins are enormous on this. So on the 2021 filing, American claimed $3.1 billion in net cash off of $5.9 billion in sales. That's a 52% margin. That's wild. It's, That's wild. it's crazy. That's, it's kind of, it kind of leads to why there's no real improvement in the flying situation. So the, the brand and then the hub system kind of hamstrings people for brand loyalty. Like I said earlier, there's really no reason to leave once you're loyal. It's like you're already married to it. You can't get out from under it. Like because one of the things you're buying is points on a credit card. Like you got to close, you got to pay out the card and close it out and then get a new one, apply for a new one. And it's really difficult to do that. And there are, I mean, of all of the major cities, like where it would be even reasonable to switch loyalty to a plane. I'm thinking of Nashville. That's not a hub city close to hub city. So you kind of have your pick there. Um, San Diego comes to mind where you can kind of pick there, maybe like Louisville, Memphis, uh, places that are kind of big cities, but not hubs. Maybe that makes sense. But if you're in Dallas or Atlanta, well, Atlanta is a double hub and Chicago is a double hub. But if you're in Philly, you're American. If you're in Minneapolis or Detroit, you're Delta, they got you. And there's no reason to improve the airline business at all. I do want to ask you something a little bit deeper. I was having this thought, thinking about this episode over the weekend, where I was like, are we in a situation like a global, as an American economy, are we in a situation where the global issue is that inflation has such that it's genuinely too expensive to operate the business. So the business has to find loopholes because the middle class doesn't have the liquidity 
to buy the products anymore. And it's not just this like Starbucks is selling $7 lattes. Like on one hand, are they price gouging? On the other hand, maybe not because it's about the same at all the other coffee shops. They're not driving up prices. This is what it costs. Like if the, if, if American Airlines and Delta were like, uh, we know that if you book, you know, if you book early, you get $400 flights, but, but in order for us to have a margin and exhibit growth, this, the baseline flight cost is about 1200 And how many people are going to be like, oh shit, well, I ain't going. Like, are we yeah, at so a point for, where like we can't afford to buy what it should cost? Well, well, for the airlines, the question is, what's the threshold of people who can't afford to buy flights yeah. such that the losses are not offset by the growth in rewards program purchases? So, th- so there's there's a couple of things about the rewards program purchases that are, I, I think, quite interesting. So, so one of the key things to know about the rewards program purchases is that almost all of the rewards are used for travel. People buy tens of billions of, of miles every year and almost all of it is used on travel. That's kind of like what it's supposed to be for. In, in theory, it's like, oh yeah, you fly for X number of miles, then you get a free flight or whatever. Now it's about buying the miles. So it's basically you're buying the flights. I also want to point out that this is a system that's designed to kind of incentivize people to take less desirable flights. So this is this is an article I'm, I'm checking out from Forbes. Uh, Forbes wrote this uh, with, uh, looks like a JT Gentner and Caroline Lupini. They wrote this in April of 2021. So again, we're still in coronavirus time. Vaccines haven't necessarily rolled out at that point. But the airlines are kind of getting a bunch of money. Well, one of the things that they learned from the airline, from the American Advantage program filing with the SEC is that, this program is designed to steer people toward choosing flights that are not necessarily desirable. American Airlines wants you to redeem miles for flights that they don't really care for. So like, so the comparison that Forbes is showing here is like, if you're going to fly at 6 a.m., that flight is going to cost you like 10,000 miles. And that's because there's a low displacement risk for cash, a low displace, cash displacement risk for the airline for that flight. Interesting. The 9 a.m. Yeah, the 9 a.m. flight, easier to get to, it's going to be more costly, 12,000 miles. The 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. flight, which is by far the most popular and the easiest to get to, that's 18,000 miles. And then you can take a red eye, that's worth 11,000 miles. So in other words, the, the lower cost flight for the miles that you've already bought that one's going to be the one that's most inconvenient. That that represents the lowest cash displacement risk for the airline. So if you are looking to use your rewards, they're getting increasingly difficult to to spend here. And you know, Nick, you, you bring up something really interesting with the with the hub and spoke model. Do you, so your local hub is now what? It's going to be like American, right? Well, so it's interesting because on one hand, there are more American flights out of Knoxville to multiple hubs. On the other hand, the biggest hub in the history of this argument is the closest flight, which is Atlanta. So that, Atlanta. Right. So there, I am in a situation where it wouldn't be unreasonable to be double loyal or to switch my loyalty from American to Delta. So now we obviously have friends and stuff in Philly. If we're going to Philly, uh, often we would use American. And right now we're still kind of loyal to, to, to American. I have a ton of miles just from traveling all over. Like I, I've never bought a mile. I buy tickets and I've gotten miles as a result of that, but because I've never thought about it, but if there was a situation where all things were even, it would be worth evaluating what we should do because Atlanta's right there and Atlanta, like I said, biggest airport ever. You can fly anywhere from Atlanta and usually one or two flights. So like we're for the first time in my life as an adult, I'm like, ah, a lot of options here. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the thing that's going to be common for all of those is that we've, we've already established that the actual service of providing flights to people, the actual airline business, that's completely separate yep. from the financial management portion of taking liquid cash and investing it on the basis of doubling up with the banks and, and selling them the kind of shroot bucks that the bank pays for and in turn gets customers to sign up to credit cards and, and pay for. Right. So those are those are completely separate. And in fact, they're, they're so separate that the one that's financially profitable, the financial side, keeps the other one afloat, even though the other one is losing money. Like they, they actually lose money on these flights. And so if you're going to do that, the best way for you to continue to make money is to get more people to sign up for the rewards program. And that's why, like, if you're ever on a flight, the one of the most awkward moments is they go on like a 10-minute spiel. They have like the flight attendant, like the service crew in the cabin, get on the little thing and say, thank you for flying with us. We know there's a lot of choices 
we appreciate your loyalty, and we're going to give you the opportunity to sign up for a credit card. You can get 450 million miles I feel for so bad. low, low price of 150. It's so awkward. And so, so they, they basically turn people who already have stressful, annoying jobs. And remember, we've talked about it on this show how people can't behave themselves in public anymore. That includes actual airplanes. They're taking sure. people who are dealing with these high-stress jobs who have a literal one-dimension movement pattern for hours and hours a day. They're turning them into credit card salespeople. Because if they don't sell credit cards, then the business isn't going to continue to stay afloat. Now, the good news for the companies is that people are going to continue to sign up for the credit cards and they're going to continue to sign up for the rewards programs. Their financial filings are enough evidence of that. But it's just a crazy thing to me that they've got people who are supposed to be providing the service of making a flight safe and comfortable for the passengers. Well, now they're providing the service of selling financial products to the same people who have no choice but to listen to that announcement. It's really strange because I know that marketing people are often the spawn of Satan. And <laughs> they, uh, the weird thing is that in this world of data analytics and people making data-backed choices, I can't imagine for the life of me that that is an effective way to sell credit cards. I, I can't. What is the data? Like how many know. people are like, oh, over here, sir. Actually, 50,000. I will buy this embarrassing, humiliating thing for you for 200,000. Take it or leave it. I know you haven't sold shit. Right? Like, like an auctioneer on the damn plane. I've thought about bargaining with them. I was like, I'm not going to buy your shit for that, but I'll buy it for this. Because well, I know that I mean, you don't you give know, a fuck about the shoot buck. It has literally no value. You change the value based on the time of day. Like that's the other thing about this. A mile is fake. It's not a thing because if it were miles you were spending, they couldn't change it for like, if I want to go from Knoxville to Atlanta, like, well, it's actually 5,000 miles at 5 p.m. Like, well, if I drive to Atlanta, it's actually 150 miles. So like, what the hell? Yeah, it's it's a unit of currency. It doesn't doesn't mean anything. Yes, it doesn't mean anything. So, Nick, I want to I want to kind of like wrap us up here by going back to like the origin of how all this sort of started. I mean, there, there were these significant milestones like in the period of 2018 where American Airlines was shown to be more profitable from the rewards program than from the actual service. When Starbucks in 2016 changed its rewards program to go from discrete star based purchases to dollars spent as a rewards program, Subway has since gone to a point system. RIP to our memories of, of our dad carrying around the stamp cards there. Mm. If I were to tell you, if, if, if okay, so let's, let's do just like a quiz. Okay. So the answer to this is deregulation. I'm not going to tell you what year it was because I want you to get, if, if you had to guess which presidential administration was responsible for deregulation, causing rewards programs to balloon out of control and pigeonhole customers into specific hub and spoke route patterns and, uh, unfortunate pricing for people who don't live in those hubs, which presidential administration would you blame for this? I've got it down to two. I've got it down to two. Go on. Go I on. I think that Ronald Reagan repealed Glass-Steagall, but this smells like Bill Clinton. It smells like Bill Clinton, doesn't it? Because mm-hmm. it's, oh man, I, the jokes write themselves. So you don't need to fill it. <laughs> it's not Ronald Reagan either. Oh. So yeah, everybody out there that's like afraid of the boogeyman, Ronald Reagan's responsible for all our problems. Like, no, it was not Ronald Reagan. It was actually before Ronald Reagan. It Shit. was Jimmy Carter. Ah, that. Yeah, the Carter administration. You know the, you know the guy R. who R. also signed into law a bunch of deregulation legislation that spawned the craft brewery. Yep, scene that gives everybody their personality from age like twenty three to twenty eight. <laughs> yeah, so that's the same guy. So this this is really interesting. Like it, it used to be the case that from like nineteen thirty eight, when the civil was it the Civil Aviation, I forget what it's called, Civil Aeronautics Board, nineteen thirty eight, they treated air travel as a public utility, and because of like I think the Interstate Commerce Clause in the Constitution, flights that would go between states were regulated by the Civil Aeronautics Board, but flights that were in individual states, those are public utilities, but they're not governed by a federal authority. They're instead governed by regulating bodies within the state. So like if you're flying from San Francisco to LA, that's California's aviation regulation authority. That's not, that's, there was no FAA. That's not the Civil Aeronautics Board governing that flight. And so the pricing model was fundamentally different. They were essentially deregulated versus regulated flights, which were interstate commerce. And the, the federal government set fares, they set routes, they set they basically treated it like it's a public utility, like you would regulate electricity and, and water purchase. So people still have to pay money for the flights, but it's a much more regular, much more dependable schedule. Well, in 1978, Congress passed this law allowing airlines to set their own fares and routes. So this is, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting here from an article from, uh, from the Air and Space Museum, actually. This was written by, let's see, 
There's no author listed on this one. I, th- mm. I thought there was an author, but it's, uh, this, is, this is a write-up from the Air and Space Museum. The Smithsonian Institute is explaining this. And they said regulation by the federal government had enabled airlines to prosper in their infancy, so like in the 30s and 40s, but it also kept fares high. And it prevented passengers, or it prevented airlines from operating as efficiently as they possibly could. So in 1978, after Congress did this investigation that compared fares from regulated airlines that are flying interstate commerce to not regulated or state regulated airlines where prices were were based on a different model. They weren't regulated by the same the same bounds. They found that the unregulated airlines, the intrastate state travel, they charged far lower fares for people. And mm. so if you're flying interstate, you're kind of getting screwed because yeah. of the federal pricing model because the government is regulating this thing like it's utility and it's not subject to, to market forces. So obviously the airlines wanted to keep prices high and they didn't really like the concept yeah. of deregulating. But in 1978, Congress did pass this legislation. And what it led to was the birth of this hub and spoke model because it was much more efficient. It made things a little bit more difficult for people who were trying to get on smaller regional connecting routes. But it allowed much more efficiency in designing the, the, like the schedules and planning flights. And it allowed for lower pricing. So airlines could charge less because that's what the market would bear. And, you know, th- there were some really interesting cases that came out of this, like a regional airlines is like Southwest started as a tiny regional airline. It, it, you got flights going into friggin' New York city on Southwest airlines. What kind of sense does that make? Right. Well, the reason for that is that, it was originally a small carrier that only flew basically like Houston to Dallas. And this guy, Herb Kelleher was this really innovative manager and he cut down on stuff like cabin service. He treated like no frills. They used only Boeing 737s and that standardized the cost model and allowed them to minimize. And so they pioneered direct service between underserved downtown airports in large Metro areas and smaller cities. And so this, this deregulation allowed some companies to, to thrive and prosper. Now there, there's, there's the sad cases of like Pan Am, which was losing passengers in the seventies and eighties. And they were trying to get more passengers, but then flight one Oh three over Lockerbie, Scotland was bombed in 1988. Yep. And then in the same month that the Soviet union fell December, 1991 Pan Am flew its last flight. So obviously it shook up the airline industry, things changed, but it allowed for this more efficient model of planning. It allowed for airlines to make more of their own pricing and it allowed them to open the door for loyalty rewards programs because the pricing model was different now that it wasn't being regulated as a public utility. (sighs) And that's, so like basically Jimmy Carter is responsible for Delta making its crappy rewards program renovations. I mean, obviously he's not directly responsible. Jimmy Carter, we love you. Yeah, but Tom, well, Tom Brady. Yeah, we blame Tom Brady on this podcast. But yeah, it's, it's, Tom, it's Tom Brady's fault. Tom so, Brady's so, fault. so since nineteen seventy eight, things have been uh, on a fundamentally different course. And I just thought that was interesting. It's, it, it is interesting because I should have known that when I watched um, Mindhunter, the excellent show about hunting serial killers on Netflix. They're doing construction at the Atlanta airport, and that lines up. Why would they be doing construction? Well, like it allows them, they would have doubled or quadrupled in size or whatever. That makes sense. That makes total sense. It lines up with. Um, what I'm thinking about. That's crazy. It's what's really crazy to me is that it doesn't seem, it, it doesn't seem safe. Like financially, like Starbucks is going to be fine because they make a product. And like, I know that they're going to dick around with their money, but people are actually loyal to Starbucks. We fucking have to pick an airline. Like we have to, it's not a yeah, situation I mean, that we can play the market. Well, and you know, what's really crazy too. Like if you think about this from an existential point of view, I mean, it, it, it's, it's sad that it's kind of like on this precarious footing that it has nothing to do with travel. Cause like yeah. if you take away the minutia, like Neil Peart said this, like the reason he named YYZ after the Toronto three letter call yeah. sign. Yeah. Like if you take away the minutia of like, you know, standing in lines and paying money for stuff and lugging around bags and whatever else if you take away all those annoying details you know airports are really kind of a romantic thing air travel is a pretty romantic thing i mean you can you can step into a room be with a bunch of people for a period of hours and emerge in a completely new space and and from an airport you can go anywhere and it's it's you know it's a relatively small investment like we're we can we're able to travel in a day what people thousands of years ago couldn't even possibly conceive of. Like they literally didn't know that parts of the earth from which we're able to travel today even existed. So, it, I mean, it's really kind of a weird thing to put this in that kind of perspective and, and think like, well, you know, 
actually our ability to do that, it's not even contingent on like science and engineering. Like we've gotten past all that. It's not even contingent on the free market. We're, we're past all that. It's now contingent solely on financial products and services that have made up value, but people participate in and agree in it. And it's like, well, you know, I bet the Bitcoin people are looking at this and going, damn, if only we could get people to participate in this scheme because the airlines have got to figure it out. Yeah, and if, if this ever gets, re- like they can't regulate it because if they ever get regulated, People are not going to be able to buy the flights at the margin that the shareholders on Wall Street expect. In order to get 50% margin and show that growth, your flights are going to triple in cost. Everyone's every single flight always. Like it's we're in a weird game theory situation where you've got to buy the fucking credit card or pick an airline and they have to have their fake points or it isn't going to work out. That being said... I am brand loyal to American and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. All these Delta people with the fucking screens in the back of their their seats bs you know what american did Shameful. american played a little they made a little thing you set your phone there or your ipad what a much Genius. better yes it's like it probably cost significantly less and my screen is better than their screen promise you that wow I promise you that congratulations yes and my earbuds don't connect on bluetooth you have to have earbuds to listen to their thing, do you want these ones for seven dollars no i want my bluetooth earbuds i'll take american all day because of the little phone drop downy thing Phone dropped anything. That's the real difference maker. That's right. Player three, I got to warn you out there. Use your unused gift card balances for Starbucks. According to the Motley Fool, $196 million in Starbucks account because of unused gift cards. Go out and spend the money that has already been spent. Don't let Starbucks have your money for free. And $96 million? The CEO has just got to keep that, right? Like, Go get the coffee, people. Go get the coffee. Spend your gift cards. 